Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. Good morning, everybody. Um, How many people here um, do not go to either Mill or Global Outreach Sunday School? You're just visiting. Okay, so if you're not like Andres, who's from South Africa, and he's probably not going to come back next week, um, if you are coming back next week, I'm going to make an unashamed plug that um, little competition here with Joe. Um, If you want to come to a really good Sunday school, come to Outreach Sunday School. (laughs) If you're looking for an amazing Sunday school, come to Outreach Sunday School. Um, Millie's good, and it's great. But if you want amazing, then come. No, okay? No, both these Sunday schools are great, um, and we hope that uh, you really get something worthwhile in the process of deepening in your relationship with Christ through these classes, through these engagements where we really wrestle through scripture and content. Um, Now, another reason you should come to Outreach Sunday School is every week in Outreach, at the end, at the beginning of the class, we, we ask a few questions regarding the teaching of the week prior, and we give away gift cards. Do you guys do that, Joe? No, yeah, you don't do that, right? No, we do. So, so if you want the opportunity to get gift cards, you come to Outreach Sunday School. Um, but this week, instead of giving gift cards, we have a few um, necklaces made by... Izel, who made these? Any, who? So, so some of the teachers at Club 21, and you're going to hear a lot about Club 21. If you don't get one now... At the end of today, you're going to really be sad you didn't get one, okay? Um, But Club 21 teachers make these in order to create awareness of what they do and what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm going to ask three questions, because I have three necklaces here, regarding the teaching of last week. And we'll start very easy, okay? We said, um, let's think, okay, if you give me, without looking at your notes... Because okay, we have these people that look at their notes. Yeah, so you're, if I see you looking, you can answer. But if I see, I'll actually pick you. Okay? So if you look at your notes, I'm going to give you an easy one. Give me three of the seven questions. Just three, okay? There are seven. Think about it. Seven questions you could ask that could help you discover someone's worldview. Don't look at your notes. Take a chance. You cannot look. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Close, and I'll give it to you. Okay, because you use a little bit of different verbiage, but yes, good job. I want to see how much of it is in you, not in your book or in your notes. I love that you take notes, but you have to get it and grab it. Okay. Um, give me three things that influence your worldview. Very easy question. Okay, the girl in the pink reddish shirt. Family, school, and what else? Yeah, your culture, your country you grew up in can influence your worldview. 
Okay, now the last question is going to be a little more probing. You have to think about this because I didn't necessarily say this outright, but I'm digging for a word. Okay, we all have a worldview, and we all have, all of us in this room to some degree or another, have a negative characteristic in us. One word, okay? And I used the example when I talked about uh, Islam when we take a red and a blue lens, those of you who were here, and I say we first have to remove our lens of what? That lens causes us to have a certain negative characteristic trait. What is that? Bias is very close, very close, but it's more negative than just a bias. Racism is similar. Bob? Prejudice, okay? So we all have, and the reason I want you to really land before we start today on this word prejudice is because it's the launching pad with which I want to start what we're going to do this morning, okay? Um, And it's okay for us to come to terms that at some level, somewhere, we all have a bias, a prejudice to some degree towards someone else in our community and around the world, sometimes because we just don't understand and sometimes because we've been influenced in the way we grew up to have a bias or a prejudice. So let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will work among us. Holy Spirit, that you will craft our hearts, that you will write upon the tablets of our hearts the, the mission, the purpose, the words that flow from uh, the heart of the Father. God, that we'll become better ambassadors for your kingdom, more invigorated to do what you've called us to do. And God, that you will give us courage to stand up for righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about and discover the world of people around us with disabilities. And this may sound like a kind of a interesting angle to a discussion on worldviews, but I think besides the discussion on worldviews, just in general, this is not something that is talked about in the global church. And I can say that confidently because when we travel around the world, and Tim and I talked about that this morning, we see just how strong the hand of the enemy is in a community that navigates the challenges of disabilities and how far removed the church seems to be. And if you're going to talk about worldviews, we better start talking about the things that make us uncomfortable. And I would, I would dare to say that everybody in this room, at some point in your life, if not currently right now, had a prejudice to some degree or another towards people with disabilities. And so let me ask just a couple questions in getting us going. How comfortable, that being a 10, or how uncomfortable, that being a zero, are you around people with disabilities? Okay, so maybe turn to one another at your table and just got to give your answer to each other. A little bit of accountability here. 
Okay. I see this. I see this sometimes at New Life, right? Okay, everybody, look up here. I see this sometimes in New Life. This is not a criticism; it's observation. When people different than us are in church, even if they sit, especially when they sit close to where we usually sit, we'll find a different seat. I mean, I see this all the time, and it shouldn't be like that among us. So, some of the questions we want to navigate the more this morning is: How do we engage people with disabilities? Okay, now. I've invited Izel Els from South Africa to be with us this morning and, and share from her own experience. Uh, and Tim Middlebrook and I met Izel two years ago, a year ago, a year ago. And, and I can honestly say it's been one of the most invigorating, fascinating, exciting journeys we've been on in a long time just in ministry. Because it's opened a world for us to really deal with some, some heart-pressing things in the church. And Izel, why don't you come up here? Tim, why don't you come up here? Um, for those of you who don't know, Tim Middlebrook is one of our elders at the church. Um, and uh, I was at a conference, just a quick story of how this happened. I was at a conference with Alan Platt. Many of you, I think, know Alan Platt. And his daughter works at a school uh, helping kids with Down syndrome. And so uh, I just had a conversation with Liana, his wife, and said, How, how's Amy doing? And she said, Amy's doing great, but this little school she's working at is just you know, really struggling to make ends meet and make an impact uh, beyond. They yeah, have so much vision and so much dream, but they just don't have the resources. And I said, well, I don't know what we can do as a church, but we have an elder who's a really good friend of mine, and we meet every Wednesday. Um, let me meet with him next Wednesday, and we'll talk about it. So I emailed Tim, and Tim said, I cannot meet next Wednesday because I'm on my way to South Africa. I was like, okay, so Tim, while you're in South Africa, do you have a day that you could give me and just go check out this little school that I feel the Lord is starting to do something in my heart for us towards that. And so Tim said, yeah, great. And so Tim went to the school, and Tim, maybe just tell quickly what impact the day had on you. Well, I think one thing you forgot to mention is I have a daughter yes. who's 15, named Sarah. She has Down syndrome. Wave your hand, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think when Rian was uh, thinking about me, it was because of uh, myself having a daughter with Down syndrome. And, uh, and so I was, arrangements were made to go see the school specifically for children with Down syndrome. And, and, uh, and so I, I went and, and started, uh, I met Zell, and, and she took me on a tour. And, and the school just wrecked me because they had all these kids that, uh, that were just like my daughter. Uh, because there are no services in South Africa for children with special needs or specifically for with Down syndrome. And I discovered in conversation with Giselle that, uh, you know, she has a son who's 15 that has Down syndrome, and, 
and, and, and her, Andres, her husband Andres, as they have been wrestling uh, for years on what's best for John Herman, uh, uh, for him, and, and, and they've tried many things, uh, public schools, uh, homeschooling, and, and just couldn't find the right place for him. And so she took it upon herself to start a school, uh, which I believe is three years ago now. And so I, I came back. I, I, was, I was on my flight home uh, back to the U.S. after that visit. And, and, I, and I was just consumed by everything I saw at the school. And, and for Sarah, for us, Michelle and I, my wife, and, you know, services have always been available for Sarah for her whole life. She's had special therapies. She's had special education plans. We had people coming into our home. Uh, when she was six months old to work with her. And, and all of this was available to us and, and, and it has never cost us a penny. And, and so I was just wrecked that, that all these kids had nothing in South Africa. And I, I just kept thinking, what would my daughter look like if she was born in South Africa in the large schools and, and large classrooms? And, I, and all I could see was her just being in, in a classroom full of kids uh, as, a, as an island because she would just retreat in, those kind of, uh, in that kind of environment. And so I came back and I said, Rion, we have to do something. New Life Church has to do something with this school. And, uh, and so uh, you know, we began working together and, and I, I just also felt that it was something the Lord had given to Michelle and I to, uh, to become a voice for these kids in South Africa, and so I started a nonprofit here, just a small nonprofit on the side uh, that I could tell close friends and family about that I thought would uh, help and be a voice as well. And it's called Friends of Club 21. And so, uh, and, and, and so we have been helping as much as we can, as well as New Life. And so that's the story. Yeah, so Tim, when I, because I, obviously I don't have family, not obviously, but I, I don't have family members or I don't have a child with a Down syndrome. So it's really been a journey for me to discover this world. But in talking to Tim, he gave me some staggering statistics. And I think this is why I felt we have to have this conversation. So give me one of the statistics that you gave me about kids with a Down syndrome in the U.S., when parents find out they're going to have a child with a Down syndrome? Well, when we first found out, we found out when Michelle was pregnant that Sarah had Down syndrome. And, and one of the first things that we were asked by our doctors was, are you going to keep her? And, uh, and that was just their approach. And, and then later discovered that that statistics show that about 90, if not a little bit more than 90% of all Down syndrome children are aborted once it's found out that the mother's going to have a Down syndrome child. And so, I mean, it's, a, it's an attack on them. I told Tim this. This is how strong I feel about this. It's genocide. We would not allow that level of extinction among animals in the United States. And yet somewhere, somehow, the church is not crying out in defense of the vulnerable. And like, if you want scripture, start reading Isaiah. Start reading any book of the Bible, how God feels about defending the vulnerable. 
And I feel this is a conversation we as a church, not New Life, but I mean a global church, have avoided because even pastors are uncomfortable around people with disabilities. And we have to voice it. If the statistic in the United States is 90%, I fear to think what that statistic is in China, for instance. Where one child policy, parents get rid of normal babies if they're not born the correct gender. Do you know the Bible talks about the blood cries out for justice of the slain? And I'm telling you, the cup of the Lord is full of tears of mothers, of fathers, and babies that have been aborted crying out for justice. And it's time that we stand within the scope of our worldview and confront our own prejudice, how we feel and how uncomfortable people with disabilities make us and confront it outright and become comfortable. I want to give over to Izel to tell her story as a mother and whatever God's laid on your heart. Um, But this lady is just amazing. She's unbelievable. I so admire her and Andris for just the courage they show in an extremely, extremely prejudiced and difficult environment to stand for righteousness and the defense of life. And so, Izel, share with us just whatever God's laid on your heart, and then we'll have a time for a little bit of Q&A at the end and a little bit of discussion. Thank you. Good morning. I hope you understand my fluent English. Um, I'll do my best. My, my accent is not always the same as yours, but um, I'll, I'll do my best. If you don't understand something, please raise your hand. I just want to start by thanking you guys. Thank you. Thank you, New Life Church, for, for having us. Thank you for welcoming us in such a generous way. Um, it touched our hearts like you cannot imagine. And Today I pray that, that through every word I say you will, you will see something of the glory of the Lord and look, look behind myself because today I stand here for the ones that cannot stand up for themselves. Um, and I, I really pray that I will, be a true, I will be a true voice for them. And I pray that God will open your hearts as I share what He laid on my heart. And I'm going to share a few true stories to you the one, the one started in 1846 on a hot summer day when a, when a shower broke out and a family were looking for shelter and they found a cottage. And a young 18-year-old man named John Langdon Down, who was taken out of school at the age of 14 and had no higher education, had contact with a, as he said, feeble-minded girl a girl with mental disabilities for the first time in his life. And in that cottage, in that, in that shelter, he, the question haunted him, can nothing be done for her? And this longing inside him to do something for the feeble-minded, like this girl he met, was so strong that he entered into a medical student career and when he was 28 years old, John Langdon Down opened a private training and educational center to, to 
give services to the feeble-minded children in his society. But John Langdon Down did not know that one day his grandson will be born with an extra 21st chromosome. He passed away already when his grandson was born. John Langdon Down was also the man who, who founded or discovered the 21st chromosome in some, of the, in some of the children he worked with. Therefore, Down syndrome is named after John Langdon Down. And it's a condition where a person has an extra 21st chromosome. Um, if, if John Langdon Down knew that this feeble, feeble-minded girl who, who planted the seed of compassion inside his heart is a resemblance of his, his own grandson that's going to be born in a couple of years' time, I'm sure he, will, he would have done so much more. But, but, but what he tells me is that on that moment, on that specific day, I'm sure the Lord was the one who planted the seed inside of him. Um, and... Uh, when my, when my son was born 15 years ago, I, um, the, the shock was just, was just so huge. But before I tell you my story, I want to tell you about, about two blind men that were sitting by a roadside. And one day, a young man passed them by. The young man's name was Jesus. And these two young men cried out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. But the crowd rebuked them and told them to keep quiet. But they just shout louder. And Jesus was the only one who stopped by these two blind men. And he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm not proud to say that, that before my son was born 15 years ago, I was not like Jesus. I was like one of the crowd. I turned my face when I met someone with a disability. It made me feel extremely uncomfortable. Almost, I was almost disgusted by people, by feeble-minded people. And when I held my baby in my arms for the first time, I was filled with joy and sadness. I was proud, but I was so cross because all my life I devoted to the Lord. I was in full-time ministry at that stage, and I I couldn't understand how a loving father could give to one of his daughters a baby, a present, a gift that's imperfect. It didn't make sense to me. All my friends that, that were the same age, a couple of, of our friends were pregnant at the same time, and they had normal babies, but they lived a worldly life, and I devoted my life to God, and he gave me this disgusting baby. And from that day, my life has never been the same. This imperfect baby boy stole my heart, and so many hearts of other people around him, and he outlived all the expectations we, we ever had on him, and the, the prognosis that the doctors gave him wasn't good. The fact that he lives is, is a miracle. Um, but when I cried out to the Lord, 
Lord, have mercy on me. I didn't receive him. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't, what's the right word? Uh, I didn't, I didn't deserve Jesus standing still by me, by my bed in that hospital, and look me in the eyes and ask me, Isal, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Um, I want to tell you another story that also happened 15 years ago. I'm sure you'll still find this medical report in a hospital in Washington State. It's a medical report that a doctor wrote of a baby girl named Sarah. And um, Sarah had, had seven surgeries by that time. And after the seventh surgery, the doctor wrote in a medical report as she was dismissed from hospital. This baby girl, Sarah, somewhat miraculously can function on her own. And she was dismissed from hospital. And I'm not sure if he was a Christian, but, but somewhat miraculously, Jesus stood still by the bedside of Sarah Middlebrook. The same way he stood still by every single person with a disability that he finds along the roadside. And the day when my son was born, my father came to me the next morning. Um, we, received, we received sympathy cards. We have not received one single card of congratulating us with the birth of our baby son. The room was filled with flower bouquets and sympathy cards. And the next morning, um, about five o'clock, my dad came into my room and he said to me, Isal, I want to tell you something. And I want you to hold on to this for the rest of your life. God gave me a vision that your son, Jan Herman, our grandson, is walking to heaven. And this crowd of people is following him. And through his life, people will be led to the Lord. But little did I know that day, that one day, and Herman will be the first learner of Club 21. But Club 21 was birthed almost in the same cottage where John Langdon Down found himself on that rainy summer day. We were at a point where I had this longing inside of me, can something not be done for their kind? I had this burning desire inside of me to do something for the feeble-minded like my son. And one morning I woke up and I just, I just knew that I knew, I just knew that the Lord wants me to start something, not an institution, not a, not a place where these kids will be, only be taken care of, but a place where they can be welcomed, where a place where they can be educated, a place where they can, where they can be taught what it really means to be in a, in a relationship with Jesus. And God gave me the vision. He gave me the, the logo, the, 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 um, the logo of the tree. He gave, me, he gave me his heart for children with Down syndrome. And four years ago, the first doors of Club 21 opened in a small youth room at a church in Pretoria. 
And I wish I had more time to, to share some of the somewhat miraculous stories that happens on a daily basis in our school. And I'm, I'm just so grateful today that I can say to each one of you in this room, maybe you will find yourself in a cottage somewhere one day with a feeble-minded person. And I pray today that God will give you, he will plant a seed in your heart to stop and look them in the eye and ask the Lord, Jesus, what do you want me to do for this person? I want to share a scripture with you that God gave me when I prayed about today. And it's Matthew 20. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be waited on, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. My son made me realize that life is not about me. He showed me that God showed me that this imperfect baby that I held was created absolutely perfect in exactly the way God dreamed of him. When he was formed in my womb, nothing went wrong. He was covered by the blood and the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was living inside of him already. I know that because every single day when I sit with these two, the 25, 26 children at Club 21, I can see in their lives what God has planted inside of them that is not in one of my other three children. They have a connection with the Lord that is not somewhat miraculously, but is truly a miracle. I've seen our children with Down syndrome touch the hearts of normal people. I've seen the Holy Spirit work through them, changing their parents' hearts, changing the extended family's hearts. I've seen them on stage doing um, songs and, and signing on, on gospel music, and I've seen great, successful men of the society break down in the presence of this imp imperfect, feeble-minded children. And I want to challenge you today to, to stand up for not only the kingdom of God, but to stand up for the feeble-minded. And um, if, if the Holy Spirit stirred something inside of you this morning, I want to invite you to, to come to the front after, after this meeting. I brought several of these, of these Africa necklaces. Um, and every time I put this on, when, when we made this, the Lord told me that, that we must distribute this among the nations to encourage people as something prophetic to wear, to say that I take a stand for the ones that cannot stand up for themselves. And if you want to take this challenge, take up this challenge today, come to the front and, and have one of these. Guys, you're welcome to give it to a friend or your mother or your sister. 
But don't take it up lightly. Um, don't take it up lightly. I pray with all of my heart that the God that we serve will change your life and will change the lives of every single person in New Life Church as you stop by every single child with a disability in this church. I pray that you will welcome them in a way that they have never been welcomed before. And I pray that you will, that you will help lift them up and give them a stage, give them a voice through which the Holy Spirit can change the lives of the other people around you. Um, I want to end by, by sharing something that I wrote a while ago. Um, there's a song in South Africa called The Blowball Song. Rian will know that. Um, rugby is really big in our country. And um, where I come from, the Blowbiller is the team. And um, this song is, I wrote it on the, on the lyrics of the Blowball Song. And at one of my concerts, we released the song for the first time. And um, I want to share the words with you. It's written as if coming from a brother who has a child, who has a a brother of a boy with Down syndrome, as if my son wrote it to my other son that has Down syndrome. My brother has an extra chromosome. My brother looks different from his head to toe. My brother will reward you for the love you show. You ask me, what's wrong with this boy? He has Down syndrome, can you hear? Low against his head, you'll find his ear. When the music plays, You'll find him near. You ask me, what's wrong with this boy? He's my brother, yes, I love him so. When I'm sad and down, he'll always know. His words are true and short, his voice is low. You ask me, what's wrong with this boy? He can live a life like you and me. When you hurt him, he'll just let it be. He will give rather than to receive You ask me, what's wrong with this boy? He's a child just like you and me. He has dreams of who he wants to be. His father made him perfectly. And in his eyes, Jesus you'll see. Thank you. Don't don't leave. Izel, stay up here. Andres, why don't you come up here? Andres is a trial lawyer in South Africa, so he's not the kind of guy you want to mess with on that side of the pond. Um, but, you know, I, I told Izel and I told Tim, you know, as I've discovered the, the Down syndrome or community, um, here is why I do believe the enemy is so aggressive in attacking this community. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or yellow or purple or big or tall, fat or thin, ugly or pretty. I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like. When you walk into the presence of individuals with a Down syndrome, there is this unconditional love 
that just envelops you uncomfortably. They love you so much that you get uncomfortable with yourself. Right? It's like when, if you don't feel good about yourself, just meet someone with Down syndrome. They'll think you're like the greatest thing that has ever walked the face of the earth. And yet they don't receive even an ounce of the same from society. And yet, they don't ever reciprocate with revenge or hate. I mean, it's this anomaly of the unconditional love of the Father being displayed through a community in humanity, and the enemy is trying to silence that voice. Because they are an image, a picture for us of how we should love. And there is so much we can learn from engaging with kids that have disabilities and just how much they love. And the second thing I really wanted to get in, I wanted to invite Andres up here because he shared some interesting stories with me. He's not just focusing on the kids, but Izel alluded to this. Maybe most of us in high school, primary school, um, experience some level of bullying, right? I mean, it depends. I mean, if you were big, tall, strong, and whatever, maybe not. But, but for the majority, at some level in your journey, growing up as a kid, you were bullied. But we do not talk about the bullying that happens among adults very often. And man, how we have bullied the parents of kids with disabilities. The fact that when a new life, a new baby comes into this world, our response is sympathy cards. Our response is, we're so sorry for you. Not that we rejoice with you, we celebrate with you, we walk with you. That is bullying. The fact that when we see someone in church with a disability, and I I can tell you right now, if you go down to the front in New Life Church, there's a little girl that has Down syndrome, and she worships the Lord with all her heart, but I watch people around her become super uncomfortable. And yet, if they only worship the Lord the way she does. This is something in our worldview we have to confront. Now, I wanted Andres to share a couple of stories. And, and let me set the stage here. The stories he's about to share come out of a church context. This is not secular society. These are believers. These are Christ followers who have responded in this way to having kids with Down syndrome and disability. So, Andres, come up here. Take this mic. And Andres, I'll let you share whatever you feel, but we talked about the two stories that I would love for you to share. Um, but go ahead, you know, as being a part of the story, how has it affected you and what have you seen, just the response of society and the church be to not understanding, right, and how they respond. Thanks, Rian. Uh, there's two stories I want to share with you. It's about two couples um, that had uh, an experience with Down syndrome children. The first couple 
as every other couple in South Africa do, um, went for testing and they went to a specific clinic and the, the results came back and the results were positive. The child was not diagnosed with, with Down syndrome. So they had the baby, but when the baby was born, the baby was born with Down syndrome. So this couple decided this is the first case of, of its kind in South Africa. You get un, unwanted pregnancies, but this was the first unwanted life case in South Africa. It was a very well reported on, on case. And what the couple did, and like Leon said, I want to emphasize this. This is not a secular society that they came out of. It was a Christian-based society. And they sued the clinic because the, the view of, of the parents was that they would not have had this child had they known that she was born with Down, she would be born with Down syndrome. For her to make out, they call it a cause of action, in other words, to have a proper action against the clinic, she had to allege in a statement of claim that she would have aborted the child. And I had a lot of discussions with other lawyers about this case. Of course, I'm a bit prejudiced, but I was absolutely amazed to see that so many of them found it actually a very interesting topic and a very uh, relevant topic that the issue is not whether this should be or not be. The issue is whether this should be an acceptable cause of action in South Africa. And the, the, I just left those conversations because I got to... Uh, excited maybe um, and I was just too prejudiced but the reality is that was acknowledged in our court, it was acknowledged that you have such a cause of action, you can sue the hospital, the, the issue in the case was not whether you, you can sue them the issue was was, was the negligence on the part of the clinic and then I want to share about another couple that got, went to the same clinic and got the result that their child will have Down syndrome. So they aborted the child. And after the abortion, the results came back that it was a perfect baby boy without any, any problem. Um, so sharing that stories with other people, other lawyers specifically where I work, I just realized that, that the, prejudice, the prejudices of people is just so profound and so intense and unless you, you've experienced that yourself, you see those people still believing it's, it's a perfectly normal thing to do. Like Tim, our Tim shared, you have to go through those tests and if, the, if there's something wrong with my baby, I abort. That's why people do those testings, there's no other reason. Those are the two stories I wanted to share. Well, the second story especially, I think, if we take our own, just listening to that story, what emotions came up with you? Because here's what's interesting I shared with Andres. When, how, how sad did you feel for the couple when they decided, oh, we have a baby with Down, so we're going to abort it? How much did that affect your worldview in the sense of, that's wrong, Right? Or were you more 
sad for the couple when they found out there was a normal baby and they killed a normal child. You see, here's the thing. The fact that there's not the same level of sadness when we willfully murder a life that's in our eyes imperfect. And yet we have more compassion when a life that in our eyes is perfect. What if the perfect baby became a serial killer? What do we know? And here's what Ezel said that's so beautiful. No life created by God is imperfect. And we do not have the right to play God. Because every child we take is a living dream of God that we abort. It's God's design. It's his time. It's his, his willful action to create Sarah to be a blessing among us. And when we in society decide that we have the right to take that life, we tell God he's not good enough. We tell God he cannot design good enough. Humanity does not have the right to take what God designs. And especially in the church, we have to stand up for the sanctity of life. There is, in my book, there is no reason to not trust the Lord for the outcome when we celebrate life. And so, thank you. And so, the questions... I want to leave you with two questions that I want you to maybe just talk about at your table for a couple, three minutes. And then we'll come up and close. Is this. Many of you in this room in the Mill Sunday School are single. Some of you just got married. In Outreach Sunday School, we have some young couples and some grandmas and grandpas. But what would you do? My wife is 14 weeks pregnant right now. What would you do if you knew your baby or grandbaby to come will be born with Downs? Can you live yourself into that space? What would your resolve be? Truly. And then the second question is, so that's a question I really want you to honestly talk about. Right? Then the second question is, how can we more practically engage people with disabilities? Okay, I want to share one more thing about Izel and Andres that she did not share. So Jan Herman, her son, the prognosis has not been good for much of his life, that he wouldn't live a long time, he wouldn't do this. I mean, the medical profession tells everything that's not possible. Her son, when was it earlier this year? A few months ago, broke the world record for the Special Olympics in swimming. At age 15, he he broke the world record for the under-16s. Life continues. The dream continues. There is such a beautiful story at the end when we embrace 
Whatever God presents to us and see it as a gift. God does not give us curses in the form of human life. Every life is a gift. So let's talk about those two things. And then Pastor Joe, in about five or six minutes, why don't you come and close us out? Thank you so much for coming today. On your table, we left brochures regarding Club 21. Every year, we're going to send teams, and we, have, we sent a team this year, and Russell, you guys were down there. We sent teams to Club 21 to go just... I always say we don't send teams to work with Club 21. We send teams so that Club 21 can bless us. Because when you work among those kids, it's just like you're transformed. I mean, they bless you so, so much. So if you want to go on a mission trip with us next year to Club 21, you can get more information from Melissa or tell her your interest. Uh, if you want to support what Club 21 does in South Africa, you can do that either through New Life Church or directly, you can talk to Tim, do it directly with friends of Club 21. But we help support the efforts financially of what they do in South Africa. So if you're interested in partnering with us and with them, please talk to me, talk to Tim, talk to Izal and Andres, and we would love to help facilitate your involvement as well. So Joe, in a few minutes... Uh, we'll come and close it out, but let's answer those two questions, okay? Go. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.